More than just scoring touchdowns on the football field, it's vital that you start with simple things like blocking and tackling to properly control your game. What are the things that you're leaving on the field and how do you capitalize on those items in your control? This episode of the MedTech Business Academy will focus on how to make some quick and easy adjustments to elevate your team and brand experience. Welcome back to MedTechsperts, and uh, thanks for earning your MBA with us here today. Uh, this is Scott Alexander, uh, as always, uh, most of the time hosting, and uh, got a number of colleagues here uh, who are experts in the field to talk about what we're seeing and how we can improve our businesses. So Barbara Strain, Tom Hickey, Skander Derty, uh, the esteemed crew that we have. We were talking before we hit start about um, amazing football teams. And uh, I went to the University of Georgia as of recording. Georgia just beat the living stuffing out of TCU 65 to 7. Um, Tom Hickey is a diehard uh, Detroit Lions fan who also apparently is having a pretty darn good season as well. And um, we were talking about blocking and tackling and just doing the simple things. And so what we're going to focus on here is, is what is it that we see as consultants and partners into the industry what do we see that people routinely do wrong? Where are they missing their blocks? Where are those tackles not happening? And, and what can you do to make some quick and easy adjustments to improve the overall effectiveness of your business? So that's the topic of today. I guess as a good Southern gentleman, I'm going to start off with uh, ladies first. Barbara, what do knew you knew that see? was coming? I knew right. that was <laughs> So thanks, Scott. Um, you know, in the consulting world, what I find most and the characteristics almost to a T is people tend to do too much, but they don't have the right information and then it's too much. So it's overwhelming. You can't get to their point that they need to make. So you have to tell the story. Who in the heck are you? Why do you have this product or this service? Because what's the current condition out there? So that whoever you're talking to at a provider organization, whether it's value analysis, supply chain, the key opinion leader, the C-suite or whatever, they're going to understand that you know what's going on and they have a short amount of time because it's so busy that they need to understand what in the world are you going to help sort of solve that they might have some bad outcomes with or they need to improve in general or whatever. So you need to keep a tight story. I look at decks and sometimes they're so happy about it, but it's 32 slides. There's no way that you're going to get through a message that people will understand. So we can start there. That's the most frequent thing I see is too long, too much. Don't get to the right point to tell the story in the right way. So, so clarifying the message, keep it tight and um, get get to the point. Yeah. What, what about you, Tom? What What do you see? Yeah, you know, I, I can springboard off of Barbara because she always brings such great ideas. Anyway, and and you know, we were talking before we hit the record as well about how a lot of the med tech companies have been confronting the same thing that the, the caregivers have, and that's turnover 
you know, stress, finding the right labor pool, you know, having those best practices and, and, and maybe even losing some of the historical knowledge they've had over the years, right? Because of change administrations, somebody's got merged, right? So there's been a lot of um, swirl within the, the community on that end. So it's really more of seeking out the right types of experts to help you you know, losing that not invented here syndrome and looking at ways to reach out and finding those best practices that are working and uh, really drilling down. And, and I really like the, you know, clarifying and keeping it simple to, to really help get that message honed to get it out to those end users to help the patients. But it's really it's taking the time to really evaluate what that best practice is, whether it is in the sales end or the marketing end or the manufacturing end, to really um, uh, refine what you're trying to do. Skinner? Yeah, I'm going to build on the football theme here for a second. Um, I, what I see so much is acting on lack of assumptions or wrong assumptions. And here's where the football theme comes from. As anybody that's played football, high school, even peewee, college, other levels, et cetera, you know that there are six days that go in to work in preparation for one event, okay? Mm -hmm. It's a sport where the ratio of practice and preparation to the actual event is significant. And in that regard, so much of that time is spent watching film. Mm -hmm. And when you watch film, you're looking at tendencies. You're looking at how, what do they do when, we, when they see this kind of lineup? What do they do in these circumstances, et cetera? And what I feel like where the divergence comes from in med tech a lot of times is they've looked at one film from 1985, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, well, that's how everybody plays the game now. Mm -hmm. And they're operating on that assumption. And they might ask somebody one question. And sometimes they keep looking to ask that question until they get the answer they want, mm -hmm. instead of hearing what is out there. Mm -hmm. And the costliness of that, if that's a word or a phrase, but the cost that goes behind that is so strong, as opposed to the pain that you would have by investing on the front end to get the better level of assumptions. Mm -hmm. And that's where I just see so many organizations just going about it and watch film, watch recent film. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's almost like we need to be having conversations, right? Understand the points that we that we bring to the table. Because my, my, my thinking is, yeah, how tight are your value propositions, right? A lot of folks are like, hey, we have a widget um, we don't know who we're going to sell it to. We don't know why they would want to buy it, but like, Hey, Scott, can your team help us build the pipeline? And not really like at the end of the day, you have to have a value proposition and an audience of people that want it. And, and yeah, I think it's, I think it's spending the time and not, not sort of the, the preparation piece of understanding what do I need to do to be ready to go and have that conversation? How do I tighten things up? And then understanding that to get there, you have to have conversations. You have to hear from people what's important and move from there. Let me ask a question because I'm, I'm thinking about this, you know, from the standpoint of is some of it coming from investor pressure, right? Because uh, a lot of the investment community is used to the dot com and we're going to get a turnaround and a multiple X return in 18 months. 
And, you know, we all know in the, the, the medical technology arena, you know, 18 months is, is not even the first frame, right? I mean, it's, it's just there's the, the process is so much longer. Is some of that being driven by the investment community? I definitely think it, it changed. I mean, everybody's timeline is now five years, mm -hmm. right? Uh, three mm -hmm. to five years, let's put it right. that way, right? And that's to exit. What happens at that point doesn't matter. So when you look at that, yeah, that is definitely impacted by the visions of, you know, somebody trying to become the, the, the next whoever it may be and doing that within three to five years. So yeah, there's some of that. I think there's also not just investor, I think there's inventor <laughs> bias along those lines, right? And I think a lot of the people who are coming up with some of these napkin sketches and ideas are stuck in their own bubble sometimes and saying, well, this was a problem for me, therefore it's a universal problem and not really taking the time to investigate and making sure that yes, it is a universal issue. Yeah. I think that's where you should get to the importance of actually a business plan over time, right? Because if you have anything to do with FDA or CMS, you've got to build in that time. And if you don't understand those pieces of it, you either have to have, you know, onboarding those experts or have them on your advisory board or, you know, get consultants and things, but you've got to make that business plan so that you know. And, and sometimes it's not just, you know, the early ones and needing and the investors or the actual inventor or whatever, but some of these well-established long-term companies it's their leadership who says, wait a minute, we need to get back to the days where we were making X number of you know, dollars and we need to keep this going and things and what can we do? And it's hard to look inside their organization and determine because to some of your points, Skinder. Um, one of the things I was looking for it on the bookshelf uh, to show everybody was uh, on the call. There's a... Um, there's a, an author, he's a, he's a professor, uh, his name is Steve Blank, and um, he wrote a couple of books, but one of them that's really pretty interesting from an, like an innovation standpoint is this concept called the four stages of the epiphany or four steps of the epiphany. And um, in it, he talks about this concept of customer development. And, and his whole thing is um, you have R&D, right? Like we're in a world where R&D is a huge spend right? You takes years to develop your, uh, your widget, whatever that widget may be. Um, and I say widget in all due respect, I'm not trying to, you know, talk bad about anybody, but like the thing that you do, and we do not spend the same amount of time and effort developing the customer, understanding what's important to them, understanding the buying process that they go through, understanding how they want to be talked to and that sort of thing. And I actually see this pretty regularly, like, again, because I run a marketing firm that works with medical technology companies, right? And I talk to a lot of people that are pre-FDA, and 100% of the time, they say, we're not ready for marketing yet. To which I say, A, you don't understand what marketing is, right? Because you could never say that. And B, you're probably right about, about not being ready for us because you haven't actually thought about what it is to go to market. The, the reality is, Marketing needs to understand, let's say we have a product, let's say that we have a, um, a remote EKG for um, 
uh, patient monitoring in an ambulatory space. So you're you're targeting like um, you know RPM kind of stuff. So you're you're going after um, cardiologists. Well, is that true? Right. So one of the things that we did, uh, and this was a project that we had. We actually had a, an EKG company that looks like this, where they were determined that their audience was going to be um, the heads of cardiology departments at academic medical centers. That's who they were going to go after. That's what they wanted to do. Um, and we happened to convince them. They were a non-U.S. company. They were a Israeli-based company. Great company, great technology. But we were able to convince them that, hey, let's run some market research and figure out who's going to buy your stuff. And surprise, surprise, I'm saying this not just, uh, you know, because it makes a good story on a podcast, but it was not the department chairs at academic medical centers that were buying their remote EKG. It was the up and down the street primary care and concierge medicine, right, direct primary care guys that were gobbling these things up. And, and it's because they actually, that's who had the, the need. But if we hadn't gone through this customer development piece of testing some things out, we never would have figured that out. And we would have run the same playbook that we saw back in 1985 of go find your KOLs, go and you know get on a podium, and then two years later, go to get into Yale New Haven, uh, right? Great organization. That's where everybody wants to go with their new technology, right? And then get this one and this one and then and have some marquees to go. What we found was you didn't need that. The KOLs that we had just happened to be literally two guys that were using the product. One was a cardiologist, one was a direct primary care guy. And we did... Um, Zoom videos of them, and that became like the podium time. That's that works, and so I think that's the thing is people are stuck in the the you know what you had to do back in 1985, and we got to fast forward to the fact that like the entire world is sped up from that. Uh, we we just came off a call just recently with with a top five med tech company, um, mm -hmm. and it, it's funny because on one side. There are budget, and this is the third one. So three different companies, all multi-billion dollar conglomerates. What I can tell you is each one, um, and these are all named brands, so I won't say anything. Each one is having budget, strict budget restrictions, okay? One is in the process, they know a riff is coming, okay? In addition to budget cuts, budget restrictions, travel restrictions for everybody up and down the board, right? Yet they're looking at it from a perspective of some of these budget restrictions are because we have not reinvented ourselves. So and it's we live in a day and age that is digital, yet we are so heavily emphasized on the people element. And so despite these budget restrictions and all these things that they have going on, the potential rifts that are coming down the pathway, they are looking to reinvent and invest heavily into refocusing their digital footprint. And by digital footprint, I'm not talking about just their website. I'm not talking about just their social media. I'm talking about how they engage their customers, right? Everything from all the buzzwords that we've talked about, the VR, AR, mixed reality, uh, uh, artificial intelligence, right? And it's because they recognize the dynamic of we have to find a way to adapt because our customer base is not what it was. Mm -hmm. And that's, and these aren't assumptions. I mean, they're engaging us through market research projects to help them with potential development of, of the various elements of those training designs. 
But the first thing that they're doing right now, despite being in a budget negative situation, is we have some assumptions internally before we act upon them. Let's start to investigate. Okay. And, and these are multi-billion dollar companies. So anybody can say, yes, they've got, even in a tight environment, they still have more resources, but it's just, that's blocking and tackling, mm -hmm. right? It's blocking and tackling. Whereas I feel like a lot of other companies, even the smaller ones are like, okay, I could invest in this market and everything's according to scale, right? Mm -hmm. There's nothing that says because the billion dollar company spends $400,000 on a market research project that the small company can't spend $4,000 on a research project and yield similar type of answers for their needs. Mm -hmm. But the investment of doing so is so sizable. That is blocking and tackling. Yeah. But not only looking at, you know, you need to get into some recent century, right? And do things digitally and get after it so that when you are thinking about the riffing and all that other stuff, it's not that you, you're dead in the water, right? But on the other side of things, you have to understand that the providers, based on what's been happening, now we can say three years, is they're changing up how and what services they're providing and how they're providing it. They're concentrating on what can I be doing in their communities and not in the hospital? Where can I now deliver care, even in the home, hospital at home, whatever that is? So if they're still trying to reinvent themselves, but they're still selling to a hospital, <laughs> then that business may not be there. So it's a conundrum of how do you stay aware of these things? So what do you do with that, Barbara? Like, like maybe take this next step down the road. What do you do about that? Sure. So <laughs> I actually put together a list. I'm very great on lists and checklists and various things, but I spent probably ugh, maybe 10 hours of going through each of the, and it wasn't a complete list, but each of the, this is going to sound funny, but the sort of the daily email news things that we can sign up for in healthcare, either that or different webinars, podcasts, that whole thing, which ones were more valuable to me than others, or depending on what breadth and things I'm interested in, do you concentrate all on revenue cycle and things, but you have to get into the world of the provider in order to understand what your world is in. So there's something there for everyone, payers, um, uh, revenue cycle, um, everything having to do with a provider from how CEOs are thinking to how nursing's thinking, et cetera, et cetera, lab, whomever. So you have to spend not a lot of time every day, but enough short bursts of quality time to keep educating yourself so that you know where to go. Because it's really hard out there. So I, I think it's fundamental. And, and, and I just want to add this point. Anybody that's ever learned Six Sigma, Lean Sigma, okay? 
one of the core fun and i'm not a black belt green belt after the holidays there's probably no belt that fits me anyway um (laughs) (laughs) whatever belt has eight more notches let's just look at it that way (laughs) um but along those along those lines you know the six sigma philosophy one of the core tenets of it is the five whys Mm -hmm. and you know we're asking about what can customers do i think one of the first things they should be doing is a five why why do people want this why would people buy Mm -hmm. this and break down those five whys because economic clinical all those dynamics where's the customer now i think it's just an easy practice and if you can't answer any part of that your assumptions are wrong tom i'm sorry that's the 83 lean methodology which i still profess today and and also sort of push so I was just going to add that, you know, Barbara, after listening to the MedTech Business Academy and then MedTech Gurus, um, you know, we, we always talk about immersion, right? And I think that's what you're talking about here is, mm-hmm. you know, number one, you've got to immerse yourself in what your core customer is dealing with on a daily basis. And then ask, you know, what is what you're talking about going to change that workflow, because to everybody's earlier point, you know, the workflow in these uh, clinics, hospitals, wherever we're at a point of care has changed dramatically because of staffing, you know, trying to understand a new protocol is, is incredible. So, you know, those five whys that Skinder's talking about will take you there. And then, you know, it's, you know, here's the other big block in tackling that we've talked about is listening Mm-hmm. And being willing to change, right? You know, somebody mentioned earlier about, you know, being fixated on that first invention, you know, and, you know, you got to be willing to hear that, you know, your baby's ugly, right? And and change that and invest in that. And guess what? You've got to have all the investors, all your stakeholders aligned in, hey, you know, you know, we we took a swing and missed, but guess what? You know, we we found out early. And now we can make those decisions and, and adapt. So, you know, immersion, listening, and adaption are a couple of things I would add to those five whys. We, um, so back when I was at Medtronic as a product manager in the diabetes business, every Friday we would have uh, the sales team could, I don't know what the process was, but they could bring in like a, a, a position that they were trying to work with, an endocrinologist or whatever. They'd come into Northridge where we were based. Um, we would do like a dog and pony show about, you know, what's coming down the pipeline and do a little bit of market research and things like that. And um, just try to wow these ducks to use our product. And again, this is 10, this is probably 15 years ago at this point. And I will tell you as a young product manager, it was amazing to get feedback from an endocrinologist in Akron, Ohio, about his practice and how he thinks about this and how we should be developing our technologies and that sort of thing. I mean, absolutely stunning. And and I think about it, back when we were doing that, right, this was 2008, 2009, um, we were having to fly doctors in from Akron, Ohio. So they had to take several days off. It was always on a Friday. Um, and so they'd always fly Thursday to be there Friday, and then they can do whatever they want to over the weekend. And I think about it now and the you know four of us are on a call we're in different parts of the world and we're thousands of miles apart and we can do this there's there's no reason that someone who's interested in understanding a customer or a prospect that why they can't have these conversations right and now I'm going to say oh no but they're busy well guess what like we I do this 
all day long, right? I'm talking to CEOs of very large companies, right? And just striking up conversations with them all day long through this same approach. I know other folks on the call are doing the same thing. People are out there interested to give you their opinions just to, to share their opinion, right? That's that's an important thing. And so don't let yourself sell yourself short. Go and just reach out to people that may be potential prospects and just talk to them about like, hey, I want to hear your story and get some feedback on whether or not what I'm working on is valuable to you. And I guarantee you, if you do it with a genuine sincerity, you will have a ton of people who are interested in doing what, in, in sharing their opinions and your ability to understand what does your market actually need is going to skyrocket. Yeah, it goes to that listening. It's asking and listening. Yeah. What else? What else should we be thinking about? We're about 25 minutes in, I think, give or take. Um, what are the blocking and tackling things? I had one other thing that I was going to add, but I want to see if anyone else had anything. No, go ahead. CRM. Hmm. We've all had them. I remember when we, you know, my first sales jobs back in the day, um, when they implemented a CRM and I was like, this is terrible. I'm not going to do it. Right. And this was in a different industry before I you know, transferred over into healthcare. And let me tell you, like, I, I still feel like every sales rep is like that. And if you're the CEO of a company, you are being held hostage by your sales team because you're not demanding the use of your CRM, whether it's Salesforce or you know, my personal favorite, I highly recommend HubSpot for most companies, you know, small to mid-size. Unless you're J and J, you probably should be using HubSpot for a lot of things. And I can I can get into why later, but it's a it's a strong tool. But but we're not using these things. And so if if you can give me 30 seconds, here's my belief of all of marketing for all of healthcare. There is a small group of people that could actually say yes. It's not 100,000 people. Maybe it is. It's not a million people for sure. It's probably 30,000 people. There are 30,000 cardiologists in the United States as, as an example. Why on earth are you not spending the time and dollars to get the technology to help you understand what those individuals are doing as they interact with your brand? There, there is not a greater investment, a more, more powerful investment that you can make than, than to get longitudinal view of what a high dollar prospect is doing and how they're engaging with your brand. And yet I talk to companies, multiple companies a day where their answer is like, yeah, we have Salesforce. We don't really use it. Or yeah, we, you know, we have HubSpot, but we don't use it. Or we don't see the value. I actually talked to a company, decent sized company that doesn't have a CRM. And I'm like, guys, I understand that it does, it seems foreign. And if what you're thinking about, if you think about the market as just these random events where like a lead is created, then you do, you probably don't feel the need to have a CRM. But that is not the way that this world works. The way the world works is if you have a remote EKG for patient monitoring, there's 30,000 cardiologists who can buy your product. Not They're not just going to randomly appear, right? This is not some sort of like video game where, you know, people are spawning. Like this is, there's a life that they are living. And to the extent that you can have technology to help understand what they're doing, you are far and away differentiating yourself. So anyway, that's the other thing that I see. And I just, it's a sore point for me because I think people look at, do I want to spend $1,500 a month on HubSpot? I don't know. And I'm like, there's not a better investment you can make. So anyway, I see so, that a lot. Scott, that's an interesting point. And, and I'll, I'll challenge everybody out there from the standpoint of thinking about who your stakeholders are in a different way, you know, because I come out of the sales arena and have worked with CRMs and I agree they're immensely valuable if they're used the correct way. 
the issue that you run into with some of those is they just get ramrodded down the sales team's throat, yep. right? Yep. With, without good input or significant input and listening in terms of what's going to help that um, territory salesperson, you know, mm -hmm. and help he or she, you know, feel the need to populate that and interact with it versus, oh, my, my sales manager says I better do this every Friday evening, or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm going to get the boot on Monday morning, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, getting that buy-in and, you know, actually come back to that immersion and listening one more time, immerse with your other stakeholders, their sales team, and, and making sure they have see value in it. Yeah. I, I yeah. think I, I agree. Go ahead, Barbara. Talking to a, what that reminded me of, Tom, talking to several clients about their CRM and what sort of, have they updated like any of the fields or any of the most recent types of information you should have in it? Or did you just take it sort of vanilla and kind of work with it? Mm -hmm. So I was working with a couple of clients. Everybody's talking about value-based care, but sometimes I don't really know what it is. So I said, you need to have a field in your CRM about provider organizations, whether they're, you know, the IDNs or at level or whatever, what are they really doing today? Are they still heavily fee-for-service or are they in some sort of value-based contracting, either with payers or suppliers and things? So you have to sort of look at it but make sure that you've got valid, modern um, characteristics in there. And it's not just the same old stuff. You also, I think, have to take into account what the value proposition is for like the salesperson, right? If you if you think about it, to your point, Tom, um, what, a, what a miserable thing that would be is like, I have to put this data in or I'm going to lose my job. Like, what am I going to do? I'm going to do the bare minimum not to not to make this be, be an issue, when the reality is you've got tools and technologies that can take a lot of the low value added activities that somebody's doing, follow up emails, uh, checking in with somebody, all those things, and you can automate 90% of that. And so you can take that salesperson who you know is working hard and clear off, let's call it 20% of their day, right? Let's say you can clean up 20% of the day because it's repetitive tasks that don't require a lot of thought and that sort of thing. All right, so you just gave yourself another day to sell a week. Mm -hmm. How much How much easier is it to hit your number? Or how much can you sell if you're doing that? And so then when you start to think about it, the, the problem is uh, folks haven't thought through what, what is the value that I can give to a salesperson? And how do I focus them on the highest value tasks that they can do? And, and that's where a tool like a HubSpot, a Salesforce, a Pipedrive, you name it, come into play is you you make it more efficient, make make your salespeople more efficient so that they can drive value. So, Well, you can apply Skinder's five whys to that whole process as well. Absolutely. You know, why do we have a CRM? And then whatever the answer is, and then why and why and why? And then when you get to that, you know, last quadrant is, so what's the action plan to make sure that we can take the most advantage of the tools we have. Well, let me add something to to the to the driver in today's terms. Um, attrition. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a CRM in a world that has so much attrition, and let's forget about the provider side for the moment, mm -hmm. there is not a med tech organization 
that anyone speaks to that hasn't had significant attrition today. Okay. Yeah. I, I can speak to that anecdotally. I can probably cite statistics. We can all sit here and probably name more companies that have had more turnover than the ones that can't. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or haven't. So along those lines, if you don't have a CRM, you are falling deeper and deeper into the attrition trap and hole. Okay. And every time you lose that rep, that is more information and another regional manager that they have to spend four times the exertion effort to try to get acclimated with that region and what is happening there. And then I know the default because I've done this before. The default is sales tracings. Okay. Yep. However, we all know what happens with sales tracings. Sales tracings show you entity and God and God love those people that can differentiate between bill to and ship to. Okay. <laughs> because yeah. I will tell you to a person, there are very few people in any organization that have built to and shipped to correct. Right. Okay. So if you are reliant on sales tracings and you are the God of ship twos, okay. Versus bill twos, and you don't have a CRM every time you lose a person, you have just created 40% more work for yourself. Yes. Well said. Yes, indeed. So we've been talking for a little while. I think we've uncovered a couple of things around um, what what are the what's the blocking and tackling that people are missing on, right? We've been talking about CRM. We've been talking about simplify and, and clarify your message, right? We've been talking about um, understand your customer, which frankly is a, a key component to both of those things. Um, final thoughts, right? Barbara, Tom, Skender. Barbara, why don't we start with you as, as the lady in the room? What, what do you find? So I think if you're listening to this, this MedTech Business Academy podcast, you should be thinking, okay, I'm going to make, I'm going to say list, make a list, but what are my gaps? Do I have this, what they're talking about? Can I say yes for sure, but what's the gap in making sure I'm doing the best practice, not just that I'm doing it? Mm -hmm. Fabulous. Tom, what do you think? I would uh, add that um, in, invest in yourself, meaning you know that might be your company, that might be yourself as an individual, you know, practitioner or employee, um, and, and you know, take the time to think these things through. You know, if you're a territory manager, think about, you know, the, the whys for your customer, you know, immerse yourself with the customer. If you're a CEO, take the time to think about what your organization is doing. So, you know, so many times we're in such a rush to get things to the marketplace or, you know, we've got to meet that number for the quarter, the, you know, the year, what have you. But taking and investing a little time in yourself and your plan Will, will really help you get there and, and think about, you know, what are we doing right and what are we doing wrong? Great advice. Skender, what do you think? In tough budget times where it feels like all there is is headwinds, intelligence is king, right? Mm -hmm. So spent looking at it as another expenditure is the unwise move. Looking at it as the investment for tomorrow and to get yourself out of the challenges is the right move. It's hard to part with any dollar in tough times. But honestly, it's an investment. And investments, if they are done correctly, have good ROI. Get your assumptions down right. Spend the time, spend the money, spend the resources that it takes within your relative budget. Again, be scalable, but take that time to get those assumptions right. I 
I can't add anything. I think you guys nailed it. I mean, at the end of the day, it's about understanding who your customer customer is, hitting the small things, blocking and tackling the way that it ought to be, and um, and that's what's gonna that's what's gonna drive business forward. So, um, thanks to all the experts that we've had join here on the the panel today. Thanks for everybody who's listening, and um, yeah, hopefully you learned something, and we'll see you again next episode. Thanks, everybody. 2023 is a new playing field. Be sure to use the strategies we reviewed today to keep a tight story and your value proposition top of mind. Take the opportunity now to elevate your best practices and refine what you're trying to achieve. Now more than ever, we're living in a digital world and updating your footprint to engage where your customers are is more vital. Ultimately, it's about listening to the feedback being received and being willing to change. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the MedTech Business Academy, and we look forward to having you here again in the future.